This is the weirdest hike I've ever been on, my visiting West Coast guest says as we follow the pink trail markers through a vast forest, crunching a carpet of brown needles underfoot. Well, it isn't a canyon, and there aren't like a billion influencers taking selfies, so I guess it could be classified as different than what you're used to. But it's quiet, and you don't have to wear $600 yoga pants, so that's a plus, I say to her scoffing face as she ducks out of the way of a low-hanging branch. My guest is a distant cousin who I have been charged with against my will. Over the past three days, she has done nothing but complain about our substandard existence here. We step into an area that looks rather freshly charred. The trees are ragged burnt stumps. Their crumbling branches lay all around. What is this? She whispers dramatically. She might actually be wearing $600 yoga pants now that I think of it. I don't know. I reply with an equally dramatic facial expression. I mean, it could be nothing. Maybe lightning during a storm that hit just right. But I shouldn't even say this out loud. It looks like the rituals have started again. The rituals? She blasts back, totally appalled. You took me somewhere with rituals? I'm sorry, I say meekly. I thought they'd stopped years ago. Honestly, I I didn't even think they were real. But now, standing here and seeing it for myself, I... Well, I don't even know what to believe anymore. I stare blankly into the charred remains on the ground, poking what looks like a rabbit skull with the toe of my boot. Allison, what are you talking about? She says, entering an 11 on the panic scale. Haven't you ever heard of the Jersey Devil? I reply, like the hockey team, she says. No, the actual Jersey Devil. We just like weird things and always have. That's why the hockey team is named after it. But the story is real, I say. You expect me to believe there's a giant camel bat terrorizing hikers and burning down pine trees in the middle of the woods? She asks skeptically. No, of course not, I fire back. That would be insane. I pause, take a deep breath and sit down on a large rock that is just off the trail. First of all, the creature is a goat horse bat, if you must label it. And of course it's fake. But the story, that's real. There really is a Leeds family in New Jersey, and some of them are still around. In the early 1700s, Jafet and Deborah Leeds lived in the Pine Barrens of Atlantic County, there are 12 children listed in JPET's will, which you can find in state records if you want. It's signed and dated 1736. But according to the records kept by the local midwife, which you can also find, his wife, Deborah, gave birth 13 times. 12 children and 13 births. Now, this was clearly not the height of medicine, and children died all the time back then, so it doesn't seem concerning at first. But there is no record of this baby at all. There is no report of its death. There is no funeral records, no report of its life, no report of its name. It's simply mentioned that Deborah gave birth, and that was the last time she did so. 
Many years later, the midwife's diary was discovered in an abandoned cabin in the Pines. In it, she reports that she delivered the 13th child of Deborah Leeds. Deborah was advanced in age, so the midwife knew the baby could come out different. But she never imagined the Lord could be so cruel. Deborah's baby was born hideously deformed and screaming. All babies cry, but this was different. When this child screamed, it sounded like the slaughtering of livestock. Deborah was horrified and fainted on the spot. The midwife knew what she had to do. When she came to, Deborah asked what had happened, and the midwife said soberly, I'm sorry, ma'am. He lived for only a moment, and then he was gone. It's probably for the best, though. This world is cruel to people who are different, she said. And then the midwife handed Deborah a warm, swaddled bundle with the head covered. Deborah started to delicately pull the cloth from his face, and the midwife stopped her. No, ma'am. You don't want to see that. Imagine him beautiful, for he's with Jesus now. Deborah agreed. They buried the bundle out in the woods, and Deborah marked the spot with a small wooden cross. The midwife then gathered her things, put them in her large bag, and left. She trembled as she walked the short distance home, thinking of the rabbit she had just buried in the woods and the baby sleeping quietly in her bag. As the baby grew and grew, the midwife took care of him as best as she could, taking care to stay hidden in the woods. But he was violent, and his appetite was voracious. The midwife couldn't control him. She was in over her head, and one day during a struggle, he hit her over the head with a hammer. When night fell, he dragged her lifeless body into the woods and left it next to the rabbit in a shallow grave, a wooden cross added to the monument. We don't know what happened to him after that, he took to the woods and over time several other bodies have been discovered buried in shallow graves and marked with a wooden cross. Like that one over there, I say, pointing vaguely to a formation of sticks on the ground. His hunting grounds would always stay the same, and so the locals began to scorch the earth wherever they found a body so that he might move on. They would watch the trees burn to the ground and say prayers and incantations, hoping it would keep them safe. Now, I know that no human person can possibly live for over 200 years, but we're not talking about a person. This is the devil. Allison, this can't be real. She says in a way that tells me she's trying to convince herself it's not. Up until five minutes ago, I say, I would have agreed with you. But it looks real to me, I say, kicking the rabbit skull towards her. This is where the cabin used to lay. It's the place where the devil was born. My guest sees the small skull skip over to her feet and screams. She turns on her heels to run, but trips over a fellow hiker lying on the ground. She takes one look at the fallen body and starts to run, only to collide headlong with a tall man in a raincoat. She screams again. He screams back. And then... Laughter. That was fucking awesome! the hiker on the ground says, and my visiting friend's face goes pale. The man in the raincoat removes his hood to reveal a smiling face. Yo, that story belongs in a book, seriously. That was great. Thank you, I say with a smile. 
You guys planned this? I can't believe you, Allison. You brought these people out here just to scare me? Did you also set a fire in the woods? What the hell? She screeches. No, I replied. It's a controlled burn. They do it to help preserve the ecosystem out here. They're all over the place. And I've never met these guys before in my life. The hiker on the ground sits up and opens his backpack to reveal a six pack. We were behind you guys and we heard her talking and stopped because the whole thing was just way too good to pass up. You guys want a beer? He says. This is so messed up. Damn it, Allison. I hate it here and I'm leaving. I can call an Uber from the Welcome Center. She shouts, turning on her heels and walking away. Good luck finding your way back. Raincoat guy shouts. The devil's still out there. The seated hiker replies. And then from the woods, we hear a shriek like the bleat of a goat. Because everyone here will play along if you let them. I'll take a beer, I say, and pull up some ground next to my new friends. I take a deep breath of the piney air and settle in to listen to their strange experiences in the pines because we all have a story to tell. I fucking love New Jersey. I'm Holly. And I'm Jesse. And... We We would would be be dead. And welcome to October, the spookiest of all months. This October will be a little different than years past because our dearest Leslie is due to welcome her baby girl into the world literally any second now. And so I have enlisted the help of a few trusted friends to join me in an episode about their area of expertise to give her a little break. In other words, we have guest hosts. This was fun, so if you were among the people I contacted but did not enlist this time, just hang on. I promise you will get your chance. This week, we bring you several tales of the weirdest New Jersey from our friend and previous guest, author Jesse Pollock. Jesse writes for Weird New Jersey, co-authored the definitive book and podcast on the mysterious death of Jeanette De Palma called Death on the Devil's Teeth. Jesse also authored the book and documentary, The Acid King, and is currently in production with his new found footage horror film, The Point Pleasant Tapes, which I'm in and it's super cool. Since Jesse isn't in the studio with me, I'll make this part brief. Don't forget to leave us a little, oh man, Leslie usually does this. I don't know if I'm going to get it right, you guys, but I'm going to try. <clears throat> Validation, a hill worth dying on. Ooh, that's fun. I can see why Leslie likes doing it. Validation keeps us eternally young and on the air. And best of all, you can give it to us for free. But how, you must be asking yourself. Well, I will tell you. Simply head on over to Spotify or Apple Podcasts and leave us a five-star rating and or a friendly review. It really is the only way to move this podcast forward. Ratings and reviews equal attention, attention equals support, and support equals more and better content for all of you. But if you just can't wait for more We Would Be Dead in your life, don't worry, you don't have to. You can support us over on, say it with me, Patreon. 
There, for just a few dollars a month, you will gain access to our entire catalog of 30-minute horror movies, special mini-sodes, our weekly after-show, Host Mortem, which is available in both video and audio formats. Maybe you want to see our faces, maybe you don't. Both are okay. You'll also get a special gift in the mail from us, giveaways, merch deals, an on-air toast dedicated just to you, and more. In all honesty, we are here thanks to our patrons, so come on over and be part of the We Would Be Dead family. And if all of that is a little too much for you, you can simply follow us on social media. We are at Would Be Dead Pod anywhere and everywhere you get your content. You can like our posts, share our posts, like and share our posts. Leave us a comment, post about your favorite episode, let us know when you're listening, tell a friend, tell a neighbor, tell Pam again. We haven't heard from her in a while. Then your friends and Pam can become fiends and we can all hang out together. I think that is all I have in the way of announcements for this week. So without further ado, please give a warm welcome from wherever you're listening to this week's guest, Jesse Pollock. All right then, on with the show. Hey, Jesse. Howdy. How are you? I'm good. Welcome back. Good to be here. We're so excited to have you. Um, so you're here to tell us some of the weirdest stories that you encountered during your tenure so far working for Weird New Jersey. Yeah, uh, it's definitely uh, an interesting gig to have, even without like the personal stuff that I've encountered. You definitely find the lion's share of bizarre shit in the wonderful, <laughs> uh, great garbage state of New Jersey. I'm going to get hate mail for that one, but fuck it, I grew up there. <laughs> no, I don't think so. We, I think that what makes New Jersey stories so good and so interesting and, and why it's a thing is because we're very self-aware. Oh, yeah. New Jersey people are in on the joke every time. And mm -hmm. I think that's why we have such a fun, weird reputation. Yeah. So give us a little bit about you in case anybody um, fell asleep during my intro or forgets from the last time. <laughs> well, uh, in July 1969, I walked on the moon as the you know commander of the crew of Apollo 11. No, I'm full of shit. Congratulations. <laughs> but no, uh, I grew up in Union County, uh, Clark and Rawway. And uh, in 2001, I uh, began my long tenure as a contributing writer slash correspondent for Weird New Jersey magazine, which... I just discovered as a fan, my uh, my grandmother bought me a copy of it um, while we were heading on a, a summer road trip up to upstate New York. She saw it on a magazine rack and said, oh, Jesse loves weird stuff like ghost stories and UFO sightings. He'll dig this. And uh, the whole two hour ride up there, I was just hooked. And, you know, like I said, growing up in New Jersey, you have no shortage of personal stories of your own. You know, most mm -hmm. uh, residents there have encountered something bizarre. So uh, a few years later, I started uh, writing in with my own stories, and it's uh, taken me to some very interesting places. Uh, there's all the issues I've contributed to. There was a special issue that I was uh, the main editor on that was uh, True Crime Files Weird New Jersey. Wow. And uh, the book Death on the Devil's Teeth, which we just last year released a updated, revised, and expanded edition on, which... Your listeners who listen to the Jeanette De Palma case, they know all about that. But we're not here to talk about that. We, we've talked enough about that a good three hours the last time we met. So I won't bore too many people. <laughs> 
But if anybody wants a copy of the book and you haven't bought it already, I highly recommend it. There will be a link to it in our show notes this week, and there is a link to it in the episode that Jesse was on previously uh, about Jeanette De Palma. So you guys can find that. And don't worry, we'll provide all kinds of fun bio stuff for you so everybody can get in on your projects. So during your time at Weird New Jersey and just your tenure living here, because I know you have some really fascinating personal stuff, Mm -hmm. you were like out in the field, yes? Like you traveled to research this stuff. Oh yeah, I was doing it even before I was, uh, you know, writing sort of quote unquote full time for the magazine because, you know, that's just a thing you do in New Jersey. You hear about an urban Mm -hmm. legend or a fucked up true crime case or something from the paranormal. And pre-internet, at least pre-social media, you know, if it's a Friday night, you and a group of your friends get in a car and it's like, let's go to Devil's Tower. Let's go to the Wachung Reservation. Let's drive past where the John List house used to be before they bulldozed it and put another McMansion there. Yeah. So it was just a thing to do. And... That's so true. Is that not every state? <laughs> Somewhat. I, I mean, like, I moved out to a town in the Midwest that has some Spanish-American war history to it, and I figured, oh my god, there's got to be a million, a million battlefield ghost stories out here, and there aren't. Like, I was like, this is disappointing. Look how many For people sure. died here. You should have at least one good ghost story. People, you're slacking. Yeah, I always am surprised that, like, because I grew up in a Revolutionary War town, so I'm always like, well... Mm-hmm. You guys didn't visit the site where Washington crossed the Delaware every year in school. You don't. Yeah, exactly. Oh, wait. Oh, that was just that's just us. I forget that we're like this little S-shaped bubble. So, Well, Union County is like that, too. Like there's the Merchants and Drovers Tavern in Rawway mm-hmm. where for decades they I don't want to imply that it was anything dubious here, but for decades they advertised themselves as George Washington slept here. Oh, everyone. And then like about ten years ago they they found some new documents that they were like, Oh, it was a tavern, but it didn't offer lodgings at the time. But they did find out that Washington would have crossed with his troops directly across the street. So Great. Granted it doesn't sound as cool as Washington slept here, but it's still like, hey, Washington was in the area. We were right in the middle of the hub of this crazy historical time and the preservation work that they've done at that museum is incredible so for me growing up it was every Halloween they would have ghost night and they would have actors playing ghosts sleeping in the beds and like a Washington reenactor and all that stuff and that was just like a normal thing and when you leave that area of New Jersey and you find out that that's not as commonplace everywhere else it's kind of depressing like we were really spoiled it's bizarre right yeah yeah because I know like we have a lot of uh, I grew up in Borg in town and like Paul Revere was there and there's so much stuff mm-hmm. and they're the same thing on Halloween they like bring up the ghost stories and it's every year we hear about the history and I was all my field trips were to places that were revolutionary war spots and then when I get out in the country I'm like oh wait Everyone doesn't have that experience. No. It's just weird to me. You know what I mean? Yeah, no. Sometimes you get to like a little pocket and it's a whole lot of nothing. Yep. Sometimes it could be only five, ten miles away. Like Jersey is just filled with these little like polka dotted hubs all over the state where strange things have happened. And I think that's why something like Weird New Jersey Magazine has been able to not just stick around, but grow and evolve from what was essentially just like a five or six page typewritten newsletter that Mark Skirman was giving the friends in the 90s to there was the weird U.S. television series. Mm -hmm. There's been the side books and projects, um, a bunch of documentaries. It's become like this beloved brand now, and it's because there's never any shortage of these stories. Yeah, for sure. Well, I love that for us. Mm -hmm. (laughs) That's why New Jersey is special. So you obviously have encountered 
quite a few weird stories, but give us some of like the weirdest. Well, since we uh, we actually just started talking about some Revolutionary War stuff, um, Mm -hmm. I've got a good story that we can lead with. And I wrote a short article about it for Weird New Jersey a few years back. Um, Cool. If what I've read is true after this incident happened, I encountered the spirit of the individual that inspired the Headless Horseman in Washington Irving's The Legend of Sleepy Hollow. Oh, well, please do tell us about that, (laughs) clearly. Well, we were at a quick check. No, I'm just kidding. Um, You're always at a quick check. It's fine. (laughs) Oh, yeah, of course. Did you ever hear um, back in the early days of the internet, one of the Jim Morrison um, faked his death rumors was Jim lives above a quick check in New Jersey? (laughs) No, but if you're going to live somewhere in New Jersey above a quick check, that tracks. He wants his subs. He wants his coffee flavored milk. You know, he's set. And his cigarettes. It's fine. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. Jim's living his best afterlife here. But, um, so to kind of turn the dials of time back, this incident happened in the fall of 2003. Okay. I was 15 at the time. I was playing in a band with some classmates of mine from high school, my buddies Kyle and Eric, who were three and a half, four years older than me. And that's important because the context of this story was we were out joyriding doing things that dirtbag teenage musicians from New Jersey are wont to do. Mm-hmm. So skeptics, they might say, well, you know, they were under the influence, but it's important to note that I was not when this happened. And what I'm getting at is this. It was one night again in the fall. We're all hanging out. Band practice is done for the day. And Kyle and Eric wanted to smoke a joint, which we can all talk about now because it's recreational in New Jersey. So hell yeah. We're cool. Whatever. (laughs) Even if it wasn't recreational, it makes the story cooler. Okay. It sounds cool already. It's kind of like the Strokes meets Scooby-Doo, if you will. I love it. I love it. We uh, we decided that we were one. And this was incredibly irresponsible. I do have to draw the line here. I don't want any of our listeners thinking we're cool for having done this. And I certainly don't want our younger listeners to emulate this in any way. But one of the we dumb shouldn't ir- have any younger listeners. I warned them all, but it's fine. <laughs> yeah. If you're under 21, fuck off. Go listen to Hardcore History with Dan Carlin. Um, I've tried. <laughs> So um, one of the things that we like to do was, quote unquote, roll up. And what that meant was we're going to go hotbox in the car while we drive all over, you know, the the mountains of central New Jersey and listen to the Beatles and the Who and the Stones, you know, because we were wannabe hippies. Very cool. And so one night, instead of going to our usual spot, we used to drive around the trails up and down the mountain in the Wachung Reservation before I knew how haunted it was. It was just like, oh, it's Uh. a cool forest. (laughs) Knowing what I know now, I definitely wouldn't go there at night. Are you fucking kidding me? No way. But that's another episode. So one night we all get in the car and instead of hotboxing, Kyle had this idea. He was like, we're going to go to the Galloping Hill Golf Course in Kenilworth. I'm 15. Um, I wasn't obsessed with Caddyshack, so I'd never golfed before. And I'm like, why are we going to a fucking golf course? At night. Yeah. And he's just like, oh, well, there's this patch of woods in the middle of the green. And there are these golf cart trails that are just flanked by trees. It's this beautiful, serene spot. You're going to love it. Okay. So we did not light up on the way there. We were saving it for when we got to the golf course. Sure. We get to the golf course. And if any of you um, aren't familiar with the Galloping Hill Golf Course in Kenilworth, like if you're going to park, like if you're not going into the, you know, the membership parking lot, which obviously we weren't, um, you have to park next to a row of houses that are directly across the street from the side that we were coming in from. So we park literally right in front of this person's house. And Kyle's like, okay, let's get out and go do this. 
And I was kind of like the the resident scaredy pants in the group at the time. And I said, in my head, I didn't vocalize this, but in my head, I was like, we're parked in front of someone's house. It's in the middle of the night. We've got a bag of pot on us. It's only a matter of time before someone looks out their living room window and goes, whose fucking car is this? And they call the cops. And then when we get back, I'm going to call the cops. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then when we get back to the car, we all reek a weed. And, you know, all of us were under 21. It was not recreational yet. So I was like, this is asking for trouble. But I did not have the balls to tell my friend who was older than me. And very much like an older brother, like, hey, no, I don't want to do this. So what I came up with, the natural diplomat that I am, was <laughs> I'm going to stay back. And they're like, why? And I'm like, I'm going to watch the car in case someone comes out and goes, why is your car parked in my spot? I can go, oh, man, I'm so sorry. We were having car trouble. My friends are, are going to go get, you know, uh, jumper cables or a can of gasoline. We'll be out of here. So it- you're a hero, basically. Of course. I'm a first responder. <laughs> Thank me for my service. No, I'm just exactly. kidding. <laughs> so I didn't want to poop the party, but I was just like, I'm going to hang back and, you know, maybe we'll split half a joint when we get back home or something. Mm-hmm. So they were like, okay, well, you know, we'll be back in like 20 minutes. I'm like, fine. So no, they won't. I'm kind of like crouched down in the back seat of Kyle's father's Ford Focus that we had borrowed for the night. And again, I'm crouched down because I didn't want anyone to look out their window and be like, why is there a strange car with someone just sitting in the back seat? Some <laughs> <laughs> fucking tall, lanky goofball. Yep. And uh, so I'm crouched down and um, like 45 minutes go by and I'm like, where the fuck are they? So I tip my head up and I look out the window that is on my left and it's facing the golf course. And you can see the whole area that they were talking about very well. Like this portion of the golf course was like this flat slope for um whatever hole it is on mm-hmm. that green. And then in the middle of it, there's like a, it's weird. Hill isn't like the right term for it. It's like the slope goes up 10 feet and then levels off completely to this mini forest, this sea of trees in the middle of the golf course. And within 30 seconds of looking up towards the entrance of this wooded area, I see, and this is for the first time in my life I've ever actually seen something paranormal. I had had experiences prior to this, but they were all auditory. But at 15 years old, 150, 200 feet away from me, I am watching a black cloaked apparition float out of the entrance to this little wooded area. And I'm looking at it. It had no legs. It was like the mid part of its body went down and dissipated and faded. Like everything from the waist up was like you couldn't see through it. It was like full fledged. Okay. But from the waist down, it gradually faded away. Very Beetlejuice. Got it. Exactly. And it wasn't a situation where I could tell it was walking out because, you know, everyone has sort of like a natural slight hop to their walk. Right. And it wasn't like that. It was a level even floating. So I could tell it was floating and it was like about a foot off the ground and it it floats out from between the two trees that lead into the golf cart trails, goes down the slope and then just starts going to my left, just floating down the green until eventually the whole thing just dissipated and vanished. And the thing that freaked me out the most about this was it had no head. And it wasn't the classic headless horseman of, well, you could see a neck stump or a shirt collar. Like, no, it was just a flat line across its shoulders. Wow. There was nothing. And it was completely black. 
I assume it was in a cloak of some sort because it did not have well-defined arms. Got it. It was just this mass that was vaguely human-shaped and was headless. And I'm speechless. Not that there was anyone in the car to talk to. Right. (laughs) But I'm freaked out. I'm like, holy fucking shit. Not only did I see a ghost, but a headless one. And at a place called Galloping Hill Golf Course, what the fuck is this? And as soon as my brain starts processing it, I see Kyle and Eric darting out from the same opening in the woods that the apparition had floated out of. They're running. Oh, shit. And they're running back towards the car. And I can tell they're distressed and they're agitated. They get to the car. The doors fly open. Before I can say a word to them, Eric is screaming at Kyle. He's like, did you fucking see that thing, man? Did you fucking see that thing? It had no head, Kyle. It had no fucking head. And I'm like, you saw it too? And they're like, what? And I'm like, yeah, I saw it float out like a minute before you guys came running out. Wow. And they looked at each other and you could hear a pin drop. They just look at each other and they go, how did he see it first? It was chasing us. Oh, I hate that. Yeah. So we got the fuck out of Dodge as soon as possible. And... That just became like one of those weird stories we would tell, you know, like to friends, like well, Halloween would roll up and be like, oh, yeah, by the way, you know, we right. we saw this strange thing in the woods inside the Galloping Hill Golf Course all these years ago. Now, fast forward to about 2014, 2015. I'm in the middle of writing Death on the Devil's Teeth for Weird New Jersey. I'm more of a regular correspondent at this point, as opposed to someone that just occasionally sends letters in. And an interesting thing to know about Weird New Jersey is this. Like I mentioned before, it began life as a short typewritten newsletter that Mark Skirman would Xerox 50 copies of and give to his friends in New Jersey. When Mark Moran joined the fold a few years later, it became a full-fledged magazine. So the first three issues of Weird New Jersey up until the 2010s were almost impossible to find copies of. If one showed up on eBay, it was going for hundreds of dollars. So I was not in a position to be dropping money on that when I was a younger man. And no one had digitized it. It was like a sacred thing. It was like the holy grail of Weird New Jersey. If you weren't in Mark Skirman's small circle of friends in the early 90s, you did not have a copy of it. It was mythic. And it wasn't one of those things where, like, people knew, like, oh, yeah, it's floating out there. Those three issues have these stories in it. Like, no, it was just there are three issues. They've never been reprinted. Okay. So in the early to mid 2010s, Mark Skirman and Mark Moran decided to reprint those first three issues because, again, they were small in the early days, like maybe a dozen pages each. They reprinted them into one special edition issue. And it was like a perfect, like, aside from them being combined into one, it was a perfect facsimile. Like, they didn't update the typesetting or the photos. It was like, nope, here's scans of the original master copy. Hope you like them. And they sold it for 10 bucks. And I think they still do. So go to weirdnewjersey.com slash shop and you can get a copy of the first three issues. I believe they're signed by Mark and Mark, so they're perfect for a collection. Anyone in your life that loves Weird New Jersey, they make a great gift. And I'm not saying that as a plug because I don't see the money from those sales. It's just, it's a great thing to have. So I got for my birthday as a gift that year, my wife bought me those first few issues. Okay. And I'm flipping through them and my jaw dropped. I want to say this was an issue three. If I'm wrong, it's an issue four, which was just as hard to find at the time. So 
little bit of an asterisk there for anyone that wants to fact check me. But either way, in this very extremely old issue of We're in New Jersey that came out when I was maybe six or seven years old, there is an article, literally a paragraph in size, and it is titled The Headless Horseman of Galloping Hill Golf Course. Oh my God. And I'm like, what the fuck? Someone else saw this thing? And not only did someone else see this thing, they saw it 10 years before I did. Oh boy. So I'm reading it, and it's literally like, again, it's the smallest little paragraph. It's just, you know, for decades now, people have been seeing a headless specter, presumably of a Revolutionary War soldier that was beheaded by a cannonball in the woods and the grounds of the Galloping Hill Golf Course. So that set me off on writing my follow-up article for Weird New Jersey, where I told the whole story and then gave the same epilogue that uh, I just gave to you right now. But the story doesn't end there. Okay. A couple years after that, I had told this story either to a friend or on a podcast or something, and I had been reminded of it after a few years of making that discussion. It wasn't something I lived with every week. Like, oh my God, I have to, I'm through the looking glass. I have to keep researching it. It was like, (laughs) wow, what a fucked up coincidence. And so I ended up telling the story again a few years later, and I was just like, well, you know, the internet has grown since then. I wonder if there's anything else out there about it. And so I looked it up. And sure enough, I found these archived articles from 1997 from the New York Times where a paranormal author had just released like a book about like local New Jersey ghost stories. It wasn't anything affiliated with Weird New Jersey, but it was in the genre. And the article talks about also discussed in so-and-so's book is the tale of a headless specter that haunts the Galloping Hill golf course that has been seen for centuries. Oh! And the author of this New York Times article says some historians believe this ghost to be the original inspiration for the headless Hessian of Washington Irving's The Legend of Sleepy Hollow. So if any of that is true. Oh, boy. If that was the inspiration, I saw, can't say the living and breathing, but I saw. Wow the tangible spirit of this ghost that inspired arguably the most famous ghost of all time. For sure. Certainly the most famous American ghost. He's an icon. Yeah, that's like probably one of the most influential pieces of folklore slash ghost stories of our time. That's crazy. And I know people that are like revolutionary era nuts are probably like gritting their teeth right now because they're like half of those people are like, it wasn't even a fucking ghost in this story. It was Brom Bones, man. Read between the lines. And it's like, Sure, but it's ambiguous. They never confirm it was Brom Bones in that story. Oh, yeah. No, they don't. Uh-uh. You can interpret however you choose. Yeah, and I interpret it the other way. I think Brom Bones was a red herring. Agreed. We talked about um, the origins of the Headless Horseman in Ireland at length in one of our campfires, which are live events that we used to do when everybody was locked in their homes. And we occasionally still do them for fun. Um, But yeah, we've talked about the, um, well, like the lineage that goes back to Ireland. Mm -hmm. So I did not have like a United States touchstone for Sleepy Hollow. So that's very interesting. And like there certainly were Revolutionary War deaths everywhere in New Jersey. So it's just so very. Likely, it makes makes a lot of sense, but that's wild that you encountered it yourself. Supposedly, I mean, who knows what the, because there are other historians that say, no, he was inspired by the Dullahan. But um, there are a significant number of people that believe that the Galloping Hill legend is what inspired that story, enough for it to end up in the New York Times, so. Well, I also don't think that fiction has one route. It could be two. 
there could be that story and also the folklore. Like, I mean, you you take things and marry them to make a story. So I don't think any one, one of them is more valid than the next. And that's why I love Bram Stoker so much, because he did such a great job of combining, you know, not just the history of Vlad Sepish, you know, a.k.a. Vlad Dracula. Well, we did Dracula last year, too. That's so funny. We did the whole history. Well, then you know all about how he also brought in uh, Elizabeth Bathory and uh, various oh, yes. Romanian tales from the book Land Beyond the Forest. He was a genius with that. We covered Elizabeth, uh, or God, the Romanian pronunciation, Erzebet Bertori. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we covered her at length, so that was really fun. Okay, I could talk about this forever, but let's get our people some more stories. Well, another good one that... um. This is more on the side of the unsettling as opposed to the uncanny, although there is a flavor of the uncanny there. Okay. This is a lesser known location. I'm not sure if you've even ever heard of it, but there was a spot that we used to go hang out at, same group of people, and it was, if it was not directly in Princeton, it was on the outer skirts of it, like in something like Princeton Junction. That's closer to my territory. Okay, then have you heard of the Princeton Nurseries? No. Like plants? They were a row of abandoned greenhouses that okay. were behind some facility or building. Uh, this is one of the, the crappy things. Um, not to be too much of a downer here, but Kyle, who was like the leader of these stories, he was the guy with the car. Kyle. Uh, he's no longer with us. He. Oh, no. Yeah, he passed away about 13 years ago, so I can't call him up anymore and be like, yo, what was the story behind the Princeton Nurseries? Because if you Google it, there are almost no photographs, no mentions of it online. There's a blog about it by someone, I believe they're called The History Girl, Mm -hmm. but she couldn't find too much information either. But uh, it was a row of abandoned greenhouses, and it was surrounded by the woods, and it was just kind of like a fun place to walk around and do like urbex light, if you will, back before urbexing was like a national phenomenon. What is that? Explain that to me. Urbexing is short for urban exploration. It's basically getting your kicks, um, checking out abandoned places and doing a lot of B&Es. <laughs> uh, okay. All right. So we're at the Princeton Nurseries. It's abandoned greenhouses. Yeah. And so we would just walk around and these greenhouses were two levels and they were in a row parallel to each other. So if you're on the second floor and you're looking out like it was just all windows. Mm-hmm. So if you're standing in one of the greenhouses facing where all the other ones are, you know, like if you're in the first one in the row, you can see like kind of like the uh, the opening of 2001 a space odyssey so you've got a great panorama of everything in that area and uh, we also had my uh guitarist kevin there so it's me kyle eric and kevin and we're walking around and we get about like halfway down like the fifth or sixth greenhouse we're up on the second floor and we all turned and looked towards the next greenhouse over And we saw the black figure of a man walking from one end of the greenhouse to the other. Now, at first, we were not spooked by this. It was just like, oh, someone else is here. That's a dude. That's like a living human. Yeah, okay. Yeah, it's like, oh, someone else is checking the place out. So, you know, it's just like, okay, well, we probably shouldn't go further because it might be like someone who's in charge of guarding the grounds or it could even be a cop. Sure. So we're like, let's start heading back. So we're making our way through the buildings on the way back. And each time we backtracked to a previous building, we would look out the row of windows and there's the guy walking in the one that we were just in. And we could not make out any detail. He was he was tall. He was average build. Literally nothing discernible about him. But he was almost always, if not always, 
cast in silhouette. So he was just this this shadowy figure. Now, I don't really want to lean on shadow person because that's a whole other kettle of fish. It wasn't the sort of same vibe as the headless ghost that I had seen. While this Mm -hmm. guy was cast in silhouette, it was natural. Like I said, the hop when someone walks, I could tell he was walking and it was just someone in silhouette. And like I was saying, every time we would get to another greenhouse on the way back, we would see it. It was like, oh, man, he's walking where we just were. He's following us. So after like the second time we noticed he was in the same building that we had just left, we started getting unnerved. We were like, we need to find out because we might get back out to the car and before we can all get in and start it, he could be like right there. Are we dealing with someone who's a police officer who can be reasoned with? Like, sorry, like we didn't realize we were trespassing on private property kind of deal. Or is this someone who has issues? Is this a crazy person? Like, is this someone who's there because he's up to no good? Like, what are we dealing with? So at one point, we just got so unnerved by this that we stopped and we stood in front of a window that had been busted out by some previous derelict or kid that decided he's going to get his jollies throwing rocks in an abandoned building. And we shouted to it. We're like, hey, what's up, man? And it never stopped. There was no involuntary reaction, like the little jolt you get when, oh, someone's shouting. Nothing. It just kept moving towards us. And we're like, we need to go. Oh, I don't like. It's not responding to us, whatever this thing is. And it's not that it was so far away it couldn't hear us. We were separated by less than 50 feet. It would have heard us. And I say it because I don't know what it was. Sure. So... We just kept going, and even down to the final greenhouse, we saw it in the the, the second to last one making its way over to us. So we ran as quickly as we could to the car, and we got out of there. And to this day, I don't know who or what it was. Yeah, that is strange. And I have no prior, like, knowledge of any urban legends. Like, it's not like, oh, yes, the fabled Princeton nurseries where all these gardeners were killed. And no, we don't know anything about it. I tried looking to see if there was any sort of history behind it. Yeah, I'm trying to look at it right now. Yeah, there's almost nothing online. No, and it's closer to me. It's in, like, the southern part of New Jersey. Mm-hmm. Okay, Plainsboro. That's right. I had a feeling it wasn't in Princeton proper. It's in Plainsboro. It's not. Which I was going to say, in Princeton, it's probably a cop. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, that's what we figured, because they don't, they don't fuck around. Princeton doesn't mess around. <laughs> yeah. No, they do not. <laughs> so, but uh, this is good. This is a natural progression. Um, this is a story that I have not written about for Weird New Jersey yet, but I'm in the process of doing it. Ooh, sneak peek. Because there are people I have to interview about it. Okay. We're toying with the idea of maybe doing it as an episode of Unknown Horizons as well. So now, is this a ghost or do we have a true crime thing going on? Actually, a little bit of both, supposedly. We like both. This is my hat man story. Oh, okay. Around the same time all this was going on, this would have been 2003-ish. My mother was living in a, um, it's weird to call it a duplex is kind of inaccurate. It was a house that was built in the 20s, I want to say. And then some capitalist bought it and said, I can make two monies with two homes. So they split it in half. Okay, fair enough. So it's this creepy old house that's divided in half. I live in a shore town. There's a lot of that. So I get it. Oh, yeah. You know the drill. (laughs) Yep. So this was on Seminary Avenue. That's where it was. It was Seminary Avenue in Rawway. And so... She moved in there with my stepfather at the time and my two younger sisters, my sister Heather, who was 
12 and Zoe would have been a toddler, like three or four, I want to say. So I just outed my sisters on here. Sorry, kids. Uh, So anyway. Our people are nice. It's fine. (laughs) They're fine. They don't listen to anything I do. They're just like, yeah, cool. You're a writer, whatever. They know who I am outside of the nine to five business hours. They're like, yeah, it's cool, but we're not impressed by you. Like, we remember you from when you were a kid. If you'd like us to, like, bleep out their names, we can. Oh, no, fuck them. No, I'm just kidding. All right. Well, you're setting us up for a real Amityville situation, so I'm looking forward to what's going to happen next. Oh, this story is fucking wild and it's a story that i i've kind of been hesitant to actually write about in weird new jersey because there are elements of it that are so fantastical that it almost seems like it's something out of a movie and i'm like people are never gonna believe this shit but in weird new jersey i think you're good maybe you never know (laughs) i think you're good But uh, so they moved into this, you know, quote unquote duplex on Seminary Avenue in Rawway around 2002, 2003. And all of us in the home had various experiences of our own, sometimes, in fact, most of the time, unaware that everyone else was having their own individual experiences, too. And it started with my mother. My mom was home alone one day while my stepfather Ken was at work and my sisters were at school. I was at school as well, obviously. And she was doing dishes in the kitchen of the back of the house on the first floor. And she said she felt someone, a grown man, put a hand on her shoulder. And she thought my stepfather had come home early from work. So she turned around and said, Ken, what are you doing home? And no one was there. Oh, I don't like it. Yeah. So that was the start of it. Meanwhile, when I would come and sleep over on the weekends, I was there so infrequently that like my bedroom at the house kind of became like a storage room. Like people would just put boxes of stuff in there and, you know, I wouldn't want to chill in there. So if my kids' sisters were off doing something else for the weekend or they were chilling with my mom in her bedroom, and this is on the second floor, by the way, I would just hang in their room because it was a bigger room. There were two beds in there. There was a TV, VCR, all this stuff. So I'd just go sleep in there. And a couple of the times that I did this, I would be woken in the middle of the night by the sounds of footsteps out in the hallway. And they sounded like heavy boots. So the first couple times I was woken up by this, I was like, oh, it's Ken. You know, Ken's going to the bathroom or something. And I'd fall right back asleep. I sleep with the door closed. I'm one of those. Again, I'm a coward. Same. I'm one of those people that's like, I don't want to be fucking looking out into the hallway when I'm waking up in the middle of the night. I don't want my eyes playing tricks on me. I don't want to see something that might really be there. Fuck it. I have to hear it if someone's coming in my room. If they have to open the door, I'll hear it. But if it's open, I will not hear it. Yeah. That's my rationale. And it's a valid one. <laughs> I'm like, I gotta know. It's always my children, but I still hear it when that door opens. Yeah. Let the kids <laughs> deal with it. No. I'm just <laughs> hey. Give me a heads up if someone breaks in the house. Night. Say what? Mm-hmm. So again, it had happened a few times and I did not stay awake long enough to process it fully. One time, though, I did wake up all the way and I had enough presence of mind, even though it was really late at night. I was like, wait a minute. It's like two or three in the morning. Ken would have his boots off because I figured that bedroom I was in on the second floor, it was laid out like a shotgun shack. You know, the front of that floor of the house was my mom's bedroom, then the bedroom I'm in, then my bedroom right behind it. And then at the end of the hallway was the bathroom. Yeah. So I'd always assumed, oh, Ken woke up in the middle of the night and was walking past my door to go to the bathroom. Yeah. Well, I was awake long enough to realize, wait a minute, the footsteps aren't stopping. It was just pacing back and forth. Yeah. And like I said, it was an adult. It was heavy boots. And 
I did the classic kid thing. I was like, if I pull the covers over my head and pretend I'm asleep long enough, it'll go away or I'll fall back asleep. I did not want to open the door. That's Leslie. That's not me. I have to know. (laughs) I was at 15 years old. I was not fucking around with that. I was like, you do you, ghost. I'm staying in bed. So unbeknownst to me. Now, I am flashing forward into the future a little bit here, but this is not the end of the story. Sure. About 10 years later, I was at a barbecue and my mom and my sisters, we were all there. We were all hanging out. And the subject of the house was brought up. When I told that story, my sister, Heather, the middle sister, was just like, I saw it. (gasps) And I'm like, what do you mean you saw it? Heather slept with the door open. Oh, see, never sleep with the door open. Just don't. It's not a G move. Don't do it. Close your door. And for good reason, because what she told me, assuming she's telling the truth about this and wasn't like, I'm going to get one over on Jesse. Watch this. This is going to be funny. (laughs) But she told all of us, she said that she had woken up several times in the middle of the night hearing footsteps. And one time she woke up. It may have been more than once, but at least one time she woke up and looked and there was the silhouette of a man in a long overcoat and an Abe Lincoln style top hat just standing in the doorway staring. Nope. Yeah. Nope. Nope. So well, that's a very that's a very hat man scenario. I hate it. And it gets worse. So that's the hat man portion of the story until we get to the end. We have to take another little quick diversion. Okay. There was an incident that happened with my kid sister, Zoe, who was, again, a toddler at this point. Now, her father, my stepfather, Ken, was a carpenter and a handyman. And we used to get like a little bit off the rent every month if he would fix something up in whether it was an apartment or a house we were renting. So one day he was working on something in the basement and the door to the basement was in the kitchen. He came up to go to the bathroom or something and Zoe kind of wandered away from my mom for a minute and went into the kitchen to look for her dad and ended up going down the stairs into the basement alone. And she came back up terrified. My mom found her and she said, where were you? And she said, I went into the basement to look for daddy, but only the boy with old clothes was down there. Nope. Kid ghosts are the worst. And my mom's like, what? She goes, yeah, there was a boy in old clothes standing down there Mm -mm. and his head was on the shelf smiling at me. Mm -mm. And now, of course, Zoe was a toddler, so it was hard to get like detailed explanations out of her. But like. But also kids don't lie at that age. They tend not to. And they also don't have like a lot of pop culture references to go on. No, of course not. And my mom, who's a believer and very interested in this stuff, she was really pressing my sister for as much of an explanation as possible so she can get an idea of what this kid looked like. And what my mom told me, because I was not home for this incident, was that she goes, the way that Zoe described it was the old clothes that the boy was wearing. She said they look, this is my mom saying this. Zoe had never seen this movie. Um, My mom said what she was describing sounded like the kids from Newsies. You ever seen Newsies? I think Christian Bale was in it as a kid. We've all seen Newsies. Leslie is a very big fan. Yeah. So, you know, (laughs) typical like paper boy, extra, extra, read all about it. Like that sort of look. So where this all culminated was, oh, no, I actually left out another portion of this. Your listeners are going to hate me. Um, 
I had an incident with an experience there with Kyle. Kyle came back. <laughs> I think Kyle was like a catalyst for a lot of these things. Like shit followed him. It sounds like it. It sounds like Kyle is the reason for all. I'm gonna blame Kyle. Hashtag blame Kyle. Yep. Just gonna start it right now. I feel like I don't even know Kyle, but I feel like he would approve of that. So it's okay. Sorry, Kyle. Them's the bricks. I feel like he'd be like, no, sorry. Yes, blame Kyle. <laughs> <laughs> so again, Kyle and I, we were in a band together. We were like the Lennon and McCartney of the band. We wrote the songs together face to face. There wasn't an inch of daylight between us. We were best friends. And um, right, right, right. at the time I was living with my father and we would usually write over at Kyle's house. I didn't like being at my dad's place for other reasons we won't go into. Fair enough. But um, for whatever reason, this one weekend, he was just like, uh, oh yeah, we can't chill at my place this weekend. I think his folks had like relatives staying over. Either way, we couldn't chill and do our thing there. And I was like, oh, we could just go to my mom's place in Rawway. You know, Kyle lived in Union, so it wasn't far. Mm-hmm. And um. So we're camped out in the living room on the two couches. We had just spent a whole night writing some songs. I'm on one couch, he's on the other. And I'm woken up in the middle of the night by him whispering in my ear. And he's just like, Jesse, wake up, wake up. And I'm like, what? And he goes, there's something in the kitchen. No, thank you. And I start to like focus my ears and I can hear it. It's this cacophony of noise coming from the kitchen. Now, again, the way that it was laid out, because this was a house cut in half, it was again like a shotgun shack. You walk into the house and you're in the living room. Right. And then there's a doorway with no door. It's just an open doorway into the dining room. And then another doorway with no door parallel behind it. Well, that's not what parallel means, but directly behind (laughs) it is the kitchen where my mom had the fucking hand on her shoulder. Yeah. So I am hearing, because I'm too afraid to look to my left, I am hearing the silverware drawers opening and slamming on their own, the cabinet doors slamming, and what was the most unsettling was the door to the basement rattling. It had a chain lock on it because there was a window in the driveway. If you wanted to break into the house really bad, you could kick in the window, climb into the basement, go up the steps, and you'd be in the kitchen if we didn't have the chain lock. Ugh, okay. We heard that fucking door flapping with like (sighs) two, three inches of space that the chain would give it. And I'm like, something's in the basement trying to get up. Oh, God. But if there's someone in the basement and they can't get up because the door is chain locked, why are the cabinets flapping? And I remembered what my mom told me about feeling a hand on her shoulder in there. And I'm like, oh, my fucking God, it's ghosts. Oh, no, thank you. So, again, I'm a coward, but I don't want Kyle to know that because I look up to him. And I just went, Kyle, you know my fucking house is haunted. Just go back to sleep. And he's just like, oh, okay. <laughs> he went back to his couch and it was- oh. So low-key, okay. Well, I guess Kyle was like, well, if Jesse's not scared, I won't be scared yet, because his house was fucking haunted, too. I'll come back and I'll tell the saga of 1280 Glen Avenue sometime. Kyle. So, eventually, I told my mom about that, and that's how I found out about the hand on her shoulder. Wow. My mom, just like some fucking movie, she's just like, I need to contact the historical society and find out what happened in this house. See, that would be me. I am on board with your mom. We're on the same page. (laughs) So she contacts someone she knew over at the Historical Society, and they told her, well, we don't have anything like that we can find right now about something inside the house in particular, but do you know the story of the land? And she's like, no. No. She's like, I grew up in Clark. And they're like, well... 
that block was an old German cemetery in Rawway in the 1800s and the early 1900s. And then they took it. I don't know if they took the bodies out. I don't know if this is a poltergeist situation, but they said we moved the cemetery and then they built Seminary Avenue over it. And they said the back half of your house, which is where the kitchen is and the floor above it, the bathroom, was over an old German cemetery. Like the front half of the house was not the cemetery grounds, but halfway through the house, the border of the cemetery began. And so my mom was freaked the fuck out about that. Yeah, that's scary. Yeah. So now I don't know if that actually had anything to do with it, though, because here's where the story culminates. Okay. My mom went down into the basement to help Ken clean some stuff up down there a few weeks or a few months after the incident with Zoe and the boy in the old clothes. And she found a box of old newspapers in the basement and she's looking through them. In that box was a newspaper that was from the 20s, something like 1921 or 1922. And on the front page of this newspaper was an article about a murder that had happened in our house. What? And it was the story of a father who had taken his young son into the bathroom on the second floor and drowned him in the bathtub. What? And there were two photographs on the front page accompanying this article. And the father was in a long overcoat with an Abe Lincoln top hat. (gasps) And his son looked like Christian Bale in the Newsies. No. Oh, that's so scary. Yeah. Ew. I hope your mom moved. I don't know about the shit in the basement, but I have always wondered because, again, like the footsteps were like on a loop. They never stopped. It was always pacing back and forth when I heard them. Well, I feel like there are those situations where people just relive like a moment. Residual hauntings. Yeah. The stone tape theory. Perhaps that person, when he murdered his son, Jesus Christ, he either had to think about it beforehand or he had to like process it afterwards. And that's the part that's like kind of hanging out there. Or it could be the event itself on an infinite loop, Mm -hmm. which is what they talk about with the stone tape theory, the traumatic and terrible things, the energy from it could be physically absorbed in the wall. It's like burned into your surroundings. Yeah. So (sighs) that's wild. That's my hat, man. Story. Oh, God. However, we are a true crime podcast, mm-hmm. and I know we don't have time, a lot of time left with you. So, do you have? I, I'm going to give you two choices. Mm-hmm. Are you ready? On the spot, improv. We're going with it. Sure. Either we can do one story, like the absolute strangest true crime that you you have come across, like the weirdest burned in your brain story mm-hmm. while working at Weird New Jersey, because you you still contribute. Mm-hmm. Or we can do a lightning round. Where you can fire off several of them, but quick. I think (laughs) there's one that stands tall, like a mountain above the rest of them. And all right, okay. Because I wrote about this almost a decade ago. Like I, I don't have the details in front of me, so I'm going to give the cliff notes on it, and then the archived story that I wrote, which was in the special edition issue, True Crime Files, Weird New Jersey. I believe that they put a digital version of just that story on the Weird New Jersey website. It was called A Nightmare Before Christmas in Trenton. Why you gotta be in my hood all the time? I grew up five minutes from Trenton. Okay, then you probably know this story. 
So maybe I don't know. We'll see. <laughs> this happened back in December 1978, and I came across this story while again putting together that true crime issue. There was a woman by the name of Jean Zelinsky, which is weird because that was Kyle's last name, um, just spelled different. Kyle is everywhere. It is. It's <laughs> weird. Like uh, I, I don't know. I, I don't have enough breadcrumbs to get home on that. But Ooh. he's gonna pay me a fucking visit tonight, like Ebenezer Scrooge. I gotta tell you, I love this Kyle through line though. I love it. <laughs> so we're going to talk about another Zelensky real quick. Okay. Jean Zelensky was a woman who lived in this little house in Ringo's and she had issues. She was kind of a spinster. Like imagine the most fucked up version of Grey Gardens that you could think of. So Jean, um, she always had trouble finding a boyfriend. She had a lazy eye and she thought that may have had something to do with it. Oh, bless. She was a government clerk at one point. She was studying teaching at a local college. And she just kind of snapped and it was two days before Christmas, which is already like the most stressful time of the year. Of course. And so, yeah, on December 22nd, she strangled her mother to death. Her mother was 78 and uh, she took a kitchen knife and cut her head off (gasps) and she drove with the head in a shopping bag. And, uh, yeah, drove to the, uh, the courthouse steps in Trenton and just drove up and tossed it out the window to some cops that were standing outside. And oh, no. she just screamed, Merry Christmas. This is what you want. Oh, my God. No, it's not. Yeah. And then she took a knife and she started slashing at her own throat. Like, oh, I guess no. she was trying to commit suicide in front of all of them. But the cops were able to stop her. Um, oh, this was at the, uh, that's right. It wasn't the courthouse. It was the New Jersey State House. And while they were trying to subdue her, a couple other cops went and opened the bag that she tossed at them. And there was her mother's head with a small American flag embedded in the stump of her neck. Oh, God. Yeah. So. I have a couple fun add-ons to that for you. And the first Mm -hmm. is that in 1978, my dad worked for the state of New Jersey in Trenton. So I'm going to have to ask him if he was like about because he may have been. Because that's where my dad worked for like 40 years. (laughs) So wild. We got to do a follow-up on this. You got to find out if he was there that day. I'll totally ask my dad, be like, why would you never tell me about this if that's a thing that you really, (laughs) holy shit, that's so crazy. And I know that there was a Zelensky that he, I believe that he worked with. That's the other follow up. I believe there was, it was not a lady, it was a gentleman with the same last name. Yeah, watch. It was Kyle's dad. I swear to fucking God, <laughs> if it's someone related to Kyle, that this is we, we can't top this. It's we did it. We're done. Yeah. I gotta retire. <laughs> that'd be that'd be pretty damn weird. That's awesome. No, but like that's so funny. Get this, Jean Zelinsky. She went on trial, obviously for uh, killing her mother. Uh, she got off. What? Not guilty by reason of insanity. And uh, it is so hard to prove that. Yeah, which just goes to show that this was probably pretty open and shut. Um, she lived out the rest of her years in Trenton Psychiatric Hospital. Uh, she died in 2011 at the age of 80. So I also have um two friends who lived so close to Trenton Psychiatric Hospital that when I went to their house, that's the Wi-Fi I would pick up on. Nice. And also, I have a friend that used to work there. So I have connections to all of these things because I lived in Bordentown, which was which is like, mm-hmm. you know, spitting distance from Trenton. That's so wild. Oh, my God. And oh, my second weird thing about this is I knew a little bit about this story because uh-huh. one of our listeners shared that story to our Facebook group last year around Christmas time. And they <laughs> did not know 
that you had written it. I wrote it. It came up on the board and I was doing something. My husband actually did it. He was like, Holly, I think Jesse wrote this. And I was like, <laughs> oh, I did. That's so funny. That's me. That is so wild. Because So like, that's totally like a human in the wild that's one of our listeners that we love. And they had no idea it was you. There was no common bond. They just thought it was a weird story. And so they put it on our Facebook board. So that's so funny. It was just something strange that I found in the archives for that issue. And That's nuts. Hands down, as far as I can rack my memory tonight, that was the weirdest one I wrote about. It's kind of hard to beat that. Yeah, that's fucking nuts. Oh my God. Okay. And I'm sure there's some people out there right now that are like, are you kidding me? That's the weirdest. Why aren't you talking about Tommy Sullivan or Greg Sanders? And it's just like, well. No. Not our listeners. Those are just kind of murdery, murdery. I mean, they weren't throwing heads, (laughs) you know? No, that's real weird. And Greg Sanders will cover that at length. That's, you want to talk about some Amityville horror shit. That's it right there. That's, we'll cover that whole story. And I know you've suggested that to me before, and we definitely will. And we will credit you and all your research because you've done a lot on it. Oh, cool. But like, I definitely want to like get into that one. So we won't cover it in this short form, but it is a very good story. And it's weird. It's not very well known. Like I would have figured they would have made a few shitty low budget horror movies based on it by now. Agreed. Judging solely on how many awful Amityville movies there are, but it's kind of like a well-kept secret even in New Jersey. It's wild. No, it is because I didn't grow up far from any of that and I didn't I didn't know it. Yeah. I first heard about it in your podcast, in the Your Death on the Devil's Teeth podcast. That's that's where I heard it. I got so much shit for that episode, it wasn't funny. Why? There was a neo-Nazi element to it. Greg had a collection of Nazi memorabilia hidden away. Yeah, there's a lot of Nazi shit in that story. Like, a lot. And a lot of people who were friends with Greg, and I'm not going to give them too much shit because trauma does things to people, but there are a lot of people that are like, no, I knew Greg. That wasn't Greg. How dare you say that on the episode? And I'm like, lady, I interviewed the cop that found this shit in his room. This isn't something I found on Google or Wikipedia. I talked to the guy that held it in his hands. And like, again, a little bit of cursory research, which I did when you actually suggested that I cover the case. There's threads of, oh, well, there were other people in the neighborhood. This was a thing. There was at least one other family that even before the murders happened that had the reputation of being Nazi sympathizers, yep. which was really shocking in Mountainside where this happened because that community was filled with Holocaust survivors. Yeah, no, I mean, like, I think we touched on that when we covered Jeanette De Palma. It was a very, like, Jewish American neighborhood that was a huge presence there. There's definitely a thread in that story of, like, well, there was a network of people who that was their life. They were, like, you know, mid-century neo-Nazis, I should say. And it begs the question of where he got all that shit. Well, he has to, it's a, he wasn't that old, so you have to get it from somewhere. He was 15. Like, you couldn't go on exactly. eBay and get Nazi armbands mm-hmm. back then. Where does a 15-year-old nope. get that shit? So it makes you wonder, like, how much of an underground network of these Nazi sympathizers, how connected they were, and if they helped this kid get this stuff. Yeah, we've covered, um... A slightly more modern, like, neo-Nazi incel type, ca- like, a case. And um, mm-hmm. it's a hand-to-hand thing. Like, if you're in that circle, you can easily get a hold of that kind of memorabilia. It's not hard. But you have to be in the know. Some people um, who are listening to this right now, they might be like, when's he going to bring up English Town? Because when I was a kid, if you wanted that shit... English Town? Yeah, you would go to the English Town flea market on the weekend. My dad also worked in English Town! Stop it! Ah. He 
used to macrame wall hangings and sell comforters because my dad was a fucking hippie at one point. You and I probably ran into each other when we were kids because I was there every weekend. That's so wild. Every weekend for a decade, I was at English Town because my dad was a big motorcycle nut and I was a big comic book. I I was like the youngest hipster in New Jersey. It was ridiculous. Oh my God. I was super into vinyl when I was like 10. Because my parents never got rid of their record collections or their record players. So, you know, other kids would be like, oh, my dad wants to go to fucking flea markets all the time. And I'd be like, this is great. I'm going to the fucking flea market on Saturday because I wanted to get my comic books because you could get like old like copies of Batman from the 70s for a fucking quarter each. That's wild. Like I built like a pretty decent comic collection for 20 bucks back when I was a kid. And I would get my Who records and my Beatle records there. But a couple of the vendors that my dad would get motorcycle helmets and shit from you know he would tell me walking up you're gonna see a few fucked up things here we're not there for those things but like don't draw attention to us ah i had no idea i mean my dad was selling his fucking comforters and macrame wall hangings and not paying Mm -hmm. attention to anybody else but that's so wild yeah and he would say that because he wouldn't want me to draw attention to us and cause a scene because you know we would walk up he'd be looking at some old bsa helmet or something and like right next to it would be nazi armbands nazi eagle pins deutschmarks that's insane i have to ask my dad about that too yeah because there's unfortunately there's a big neo-nazi subculture in some biking gangs i mean yeah so in the 90s if you were fucked up yeah you could jet over to english town flea market and buy that shit but not greg sanders in 1975 that was not around then that's so wild um but anyway we'll get into that another time but that's crazy anyway looks like our time is up for uh this week but i can't thank you enough for having me on thank you so much for doing this Hopefully, if your listeners haven't turned, like, I can't fucking listen to this guy anymore. Hopefully, they, they no. dug the stories, and I promise, they sure I'll will. swear on a stack of Bibles that I don't even believe in to begin with, that I did not make these stories up. Like, this is real shit that happened to me, and the other people that I wrote about in some of these articles, like, it's, you don't really need to make up campfire tales in New Jersey. There's There's enough real shit happening to people. No, you don't. So when we make t-shirts that say, like, hashtag blame Kyle, we're all good. Yep. (laughs) I got some great photos of of Kyle and I stoned when we were kids that you could just put on those shirts. I love it. See, I love that kind of shit. That's great. If if I die and that's my legacy, I am happy as shit. That's awesome. It's a weird legacy I have with him because it's either I'm telling the funniest, stupidest stories on earth or it's like, you're not going to believe this paranormal shit that scared us. There's no middle ground. So with that being said, if we were trying to get a dime bag with Kyle Zielinski during the autumn of 2003, we We would would be be dead. (laughs) Thank you for listening to the We Would Be Dead podcast. Hit subscribe now to never miss an episode. Rate and review our show on iTunes. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at would be dead pod and join our facebook group to discuss the podcast and more i fucking love new jersey